a very significant part of what Daniel says. Um, and it just takes a long time because this is a very extensive uh, vision that Daniel receives. Now notice, in this last half of Daniel, you really have four big you know, parts. In 7-1, the first year of Belshazzar. In 8-1, the third year of Belshazzar. In 9-1, the first year of Darius. And in 10-1, the third year of Cyrus. So the first and third year of Belshazzar, the first and third year of Cyrus, uh, is kind of how you can look at all of that from Daniel 7 through 12. Because as I say, 10 to 12 is a unit. So, uh, let's see uh, how this begins. Uh, How about chapter 10, verses 1 through 9? In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar. And the message was true and one of great conflict, but he understood the message and had an understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, had been mourning for three entire weeks. I did not eat any tasty food, nor did meat or wine enter my mouth, nor did I use any ointment at all until the entire three weeks were completed. On the twenty-fourth day of the first month, While I was by the bank of the great river that is the Tigris, I lifted my eyes and looked. And behold, there was a certain man dressed in linen, whose waist was girded with a belt of pure gold of Uphaz. His body also was like beryl, his face had the appearance of lightning, his eyes were like flaming torches, his arms and feet like the gleam of polished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a tumult. Now I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, while the men who were with me did not see the vision. Nevertheless, a great dread fell on them, and they ran away to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision. Yet no strength was left in me, for my natural color turned to a deathly pallor, and I retained no strength. But I heard the sound of his words, and as soon as I heard the sound of his words, I fell into a deep sleep on my face with my face to the ground. Wow. So, this is quite a uh, quite an introduction to the vision. You know, Daniel uh, has this message that's true, that's turbulent, and uh, he's got an understanding of the vision. That's what he says in verse one. That just tells you what he's going to be seeing. Now he's uh, mourning uh, for three weeks. Uh, knowing some of the things that are going to happen perhaps to his people. Um, this is uh, during even the Passover season, and so uh, evidently he's unable to enjoy that because of this mourning. He doesn't even, uh, you know, fix himself, uh, you know, uh, during this time. Very grievous time for him. Evidently he's praying, he's worried, he's concerned, and finally after three weeks, what does he see? But this was no ordinary looking man, was it? What what did what did he see when he saw this man? What was he what did he what was he wearing? Does that remind you of anybody? Who normally wears linen in the Bible? Priests. Priests or angels. angels. Those typically are the two. Um, so he's dressed in linen. He's got this belt of pure gold of Uphaz. And Uphaz 
is evidently where you get really high quality gold. It's mentioned fairly often in the scriptures as if you get gold from Ufaz, you've got gold. Um, his body was like beryl, his face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and feet gleamed like they were polished bronze, and his voice was really loud like the sound of a tumult. Uh, now, does that description actually remind you of anything else in the Bible? Revelation. <laughs> Reminds you of Revelation 1 with the description of Jesus, and some people think this was Jesus. I'm always skeptical on those. Uh, I would take this as just a very, uh, an angel very close to God. Uh, you can do what you want to with that, I don't really care. But at any rate, quite an impressive figure, clearly a heavenly being. And what do you see happening in verse 7? The others that didn't even see the vision were still um, dreadful. (laughs) There was some kind of a, I don't know, Something in the air, you know. It just whoa, they were really stunned. They were they were hiding. Although only Daniel really saw the vision. Does that remind you of anything? Yeah, Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus. Kind of similar situation with him. So Daniel is the only one who's really going to receive the information, but the others that are with him, they they sense something's not right. And and well, you know, in verse uh, eight. How does Daniel react? He is in the pre-fainting stage. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. He goes wide as a sheet. You know, I mean, he is just, oh, this is overwhelming. And he hears the sound of the words, and and, uh, that just knocks him into into a coma, I guess you'd say. Just falls onto the ground. Again, shades of Revelation 1, what happened with John when he saw Jesus. Uh, this, is, this is clearly uh, no ordinary you know, angel. Uh, my view is it is an angel, but if so, it's a very, very, very impressive angel. Uh, you can certainly see why some people think this would be Jesus. So either way, it's, uh, you know, it's, Daniel's is knocked out. He's going to need a lot of help, too. I mean, just to be able to get enough strength to be able to endure this is not going to be easy. Comments and questions on those nine verses. It also reminds me of Ezekiel. In Ezekiel Ezekiel 1? Yes. I mean, just like uh, the sound of a tumult. tumult Yes. And his reaction. And the... The barrel. The, the appearance of the loins and upwards glowing metal and, and all of that. And yeah. That's a good point. David might have been starving. He hadn't eaten for three weeks. Or that could have been. Was, was it 21, 21 years? years. <laughs> <laughs> Dog years or whatever. It is. <laughs> right. No wonder he didn't have any strength. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Other comments. <laughs> Couldn't think of a good comeback. (laughs) (laughs) Well, 10 to 17. 
Suddenly a hand touched me, which made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hand. And he said to me, O Daniel, man, man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you, and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. While he was speaking this word to me, I stood trembling. Then he said to me, Do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come because of your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me twenty-one days, and behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. Now I have come to make you make you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision refers to many days yet to come. When he had spoken such words to me, I turned my face toward the ground and became speechless. And suddenly, one having the likeness of the sons of men touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke, uh, saying to him who stood before me, My Lord, because of the vision, my sorrows have overwhelmed me, and I have uh, retained no strength. For how can the servant of my Lord talk with you, my Lord? As for me, no strength remains in me now, nor is any breath left in me. All right. By the end of the chapter... Daniel will have received celestial first aid three times uh, to get him to the point where he can actually interact adequately for the vision. The first thing is verse 10, the hand touched him, and he's able to tremble on his hands and knees, and actually then is able in verse 11 to stand up. And this is the, the being, the, the man, who says, I'm here to tell you uh, some things that you need to understand. And remember Daniel's been praying for three weeks. Did God only just recently hear the prayer after three weeks delay? The first day. Well then why did he wait three weeks to send somebody down to answer it? There were other matters to deal with. Yeah. This guy was uh, unavoidably detained this angel or being or whatever because he says from the first day you know your words were heard and I've come in response to your words but I got a problem on the way and it took me three weeks to get it resolved what was the problem? the prince of the kingdom of Persia was withstanding him yes he couldn't get around over or through the prince of the kingdom of Persia and so that held him up for three weeks. Now, that tells you that the delay in answering Daniel's prayer was not because God was reluctant. And probably tells you we ought to keep praying. You know, when, when we don't get an answer within the first day or two, or we just assume that, well, God must not, he must not want to answer that one, or he must be answering no, or whatever, well, maybe the angel who sent to answer it has had some other matters that are slowing him down. Um, that's what happens here. Now, what enabled him to actually get around the prince of the kingdom of Persia? Cavalry king. Yeah, in the form of who? Michael. <laughs> yes, Michael the chief prince came. And that was a big help. With Michael there, you know, he was able to to come on down then to to Daniel and uh, tell him what he needed to hear. Now, all that's kind of intriguing. I mean, I don't know that we normally think about the fact that there is anything going on up there, you know, that would actually delay an angel from coming and answering a prayer. Uh, 
You know, I mean, we know the devil, you know, he's doing something, but I think, I think that's just kind of interesting. And what is then the prince of the kingdom of Persia? angel of the kingdom of Persia? Well, okay. So is angel fighting angel? Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Devil has angels. Okay. I don't think we ought to identify the prince of the kingdom of Persia as like an angel sent by God to do this. But we know that we are battling against what? Not just flesh and blood. That's Ephesians 6. I don't know how seriously we take that passage, but it looks to me like Paul is very clear in that. Our warfare is not just against flesh and blood, but against whatever he says there. I may have to look at it to uh, quote it, but uh, our struggle is against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Now, what are the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places, and maybe there's other things too, if they're not some sort of other world uh, beings and, and whatever that are at war against us? And I take it that there are some sort of um, supernatural beings representing uh, Persia that are fighting against the purpose God had, and that Gabriel here needs help from, uh, from I believe we know this. No, we don't either. Uh, anyhow, this, uh, this angel or, or this man needs help from Michael to be able to overcome this inter, inter, interference from the spiritual force of wickedness that are standing up for Persia. And we know from verse 21 that Michael is Israel's prince. So Michael would have had a special interest in helping this man overcome the prince of the kingdom of Persia. What was it? 21. 21. Michael, your prince. So I really, I think we ought to take these passages a little more seriously. I mean, if we understand that we are battling cosmic forces, what should that make us do? Overwhelming. 
And so there's one uh, human-like figure that touches his lips. And, you know, that that's a, a means of strengthening him to at least be able to speak. I mean, otherwise, he, he couldn't speak at all. When he speaks, he says, Oh, my Lord, as a result of the vision, anguish has come upon me. I've retained no strength, for how can such a servant of my Lord talk with such as my Lord? So for me, there remains just now no strength in me, nor has any breath been left in me. So really, Daniel, when he does speak, speaks to more or less say, I can't deal with this. I'm still too overwhelmed. I just, this is just more than I can take. I need help. Uh, quite, I, you know, I mean, I, I really take it that this is this is just really, you know, just this is just overwhelming. I mean, you just can't really imagine how exhausting and and just I don't know. You just don't have any strength left to do anything. All right, comments and questions through verse seventeen. What's the reference to Persia? Is there anything we know about Persia? Well, of course, we're in Persia now. I mean, this is in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia. So, I take it from what we even know from those, like the statue vision, Persia, by God's design, is going to fall to the next empire eventually, which will be Greece. And so the plan of God is not compatible with Persia's eternal dominance that they would have won. Right. Yeah. In the Hebrew, do you know what the definition there is for the like for the word Lord in sixteen and seventeen? What's it, is he just saying? You call him Angel Lord, right? Yeah, just Master Ruler. Just means Master. Uh, or even Sir, not right. in respect. Because even the wives called their husbands Lord in the Old Testament. Right. Right. It's not the Jehovah Lord. Okay, I didn't think so. I did. Okay, so I make that distinction. In verse 14, what vision is he talking about? The one he's about? Yes, I think so. Yeah. Other comments or questions? This is a lot of introduction. You know, this is really, this is amazing. And uh, so, 18 to 11, 1. Then this one with human appearance touched me again and strengthened me. And he said, O man of high esteem, do not be afraid. Peace be with you. Take courage and be courageous. Now, as soon as he spoke to me, I received strength and said, May my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Then he said, Do you understand why I came to you? But I shall now return to fight against the prince of Persia. So I am going forth, and behold, the prince of Greece is about to come. However, I will tell you what is inscribed in the writing of truth. Yet there is no one who stands firmly with me against these forces, except Michael, your prince. And in the first year of Darius the Mede, I arose to be an encouragement and a protection for him. Okay. Third time now, uh, this man touches him again and strengthens him. Tells him not to be afraid, to be courageous. And, 
you know, that seems to, you know, give Daniel enough strength to really deal with this. Now he's ready to receive this vision, but it's taken some time and some work to get him up to that point. And uh, this man says, do you understand why I came to you in verse 20? He says, but I shall now return to fight against the prince of Persia. So I'm going forth, and behold, the prince of Greece is about to come. So that, I think, gives you some more idea of what this vision is going to be all about. This is going to cover the periods of the Persian and Greek um, kingdoms, empires. And uh, that that's what's going to happen. And, uh, you know, he's going to fight against the prince of Persia, which is going to leave room for then the prince of Greece to take over. And really the only help he's got is from Michael. So what you see is that God is, you know, raising up kingdoms and bringing down kingdoms. In this case, you know, he encouraged and protected Darius the Mede, but then now he's going to go back and fight against the Persians. Uh, and, and the Greeks will come and so forth. We just don't realize that so many of the things that happen on the world stage are the things God's doing. It's just behind the scenes stuff. But if we only knew what was going on for real, we'd see the hand of God over the place. We are in this scientific age. We don't think in those terms. We don't think that there's anything other than what we can see that even exists. And that is a problem I think a lot of brethren struggle with even the idea that God still works in the world. You know, we want to believe in, you know, well, God just kind of wound it up and now it's on its own. And I don't think that's at all what we see in this. I think we see God having a very active role in sending angels to fight against this prince and that prince and to bring up nations and bring them down. Comments and questions? I think that very thing's a barrier to real faith and real, you know, trust in the, in, in the existence of God, and thus it affects prayer. So, yes. Absolutely. It's the, it's the foundation for for the relationship with God. Absolutely. Faith involves believing in things we can't see. You know, and, and believing on the base of God's word. Even though we don't have any tangible evidence that God is actually doing something in the world right now. We have a lot of things, but but there's not something visible that you can just see. And well, that was God's hand swooping in. All right. Um, you ever? I don't know. Do you ever travel to other places besides Brazil? No. To go check. Okay. Uh, you ever talk with other? You know, with other brethren that go to different various countries and stuff that work with other. I didn't know yeah. if, uh, like, in the, I don't know what you want to call them. I guess third world countries, or I don't know what to call them. Uh, that you know, that don't have as much technology or stuff as Americans do. I mean, as as Christians over there compared to Christians in America, from what you know about, I mean, do you see any kind of, like, them being, have you ever seen any kind of difference, like, in, in maybe they're, they're praying more than Christians in America that you're seeing, or, like, they're, that maybe their faith is stronger because they have less, or, because I know we talked about the technology, you know, in America, and how we seem to think technology always gets things done, and sometimes that, I mean, can put Christians, I guess, on a scale of, they think they don't need God as much, I mean, do you think that plays mm-hmm. anything like that? Mm-hmm. Okay, I don't know, I don't know if anything like that to do with it. I think so. And, um, and I would assume that um, in countries where mysticism and, and a belief in supernatural powers is stronger, 
you have, I mean, it's it's still a two-edged sword. Mm -hmm. You believe that these things are real in a way that, you know, technology-driven folks might not, but then you also might think, oh, this is just another supernatural thing, and it, that's more like a, a, a talisman or a totem or a, um, what's the word I'm actually looking for? Superstition, mm -hmm. I guess, instead of something real. Okay. Other thoughts and comments? So we have this on like a large scale of God working. Um, do you have examples of him working in a more personal level, or would you use this to argue that point as well? Well, I mean, there's a lot of statements, at least, that God works in a more personal level. I mean, uh, you know, a lot of passages in the New Testament where we pray um, for God to, you know, strengthen us in the inner man, you know, Ephesians 3, and, uh, you know, a lot of things that you see in, in that, um, God is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to his power that works in us in Ephesians 3.20. And just really, I mean, you know, you began the good work and you will complete it. You know, God is working in uh, his pleasure in us, and it's Philippians 1, Philippians 2, and so forth. So I think there's plenty of statements, uh, at the very least. Maybe we, I mean, there's certainly things you can see where God is transforming people. Um, so. Other comments or questions? This reminded me, um, in verse 19, that, and also back in verse 11, where Daniel is referred to as a man of high esteem, it reminded me of uh, Mary, and you know, you're yes. favored, and and don't be afraid, peace, take courage, you know that whole. Whenever one of these heavenly beings shows up, they usually have to say things like that before people stop fainting at their feet, and and, and that type of thing. And and I also wrote something about. Events in the heavenly realm don't always come to our attention. Mm -hmm. and that makes me think of Ephesians 3 as well. But. Sure. Yeah. Well, you have to trust that we'll go and God says he's involved in all this, and he does it powerfully that he does. That's, I see him answering prayer, and it's strengthening the faith. But I mean, you know, what I see is my prayers and what happens. You know, I don't actually see God you know, doing it. So that's where the faith comes in. It's, it's, it's helpful to see that, well, the prayers were answered, uh, but, I mean, an atheist would say, I just happened by coincidence. You know, that was just natural forces. I got anything to do with that. You know, I don't believe that. <laughs> I believe the Lord is the one answering those things, and I believe that by faith, based upon his track record, what I see in the scriptures, you know, all, all that he's done. But, I mean, I can't have some sort of test tube proof of that. That's where the faith comes in. Other thoughts? All right, well, in view of our uh, long delay, that should be good to just stop here.